0: Welcome to this week's episode of Fly on the Wall. I'm Alec. Today on the podcast, we have Antonia Ferrier. Antonia is a fellow here at Duke Politics this semester and we're so excited to have her. Prior to being a fellow here, she was the communications director for Senator Mitch McConnell, but has really been everywhere on the Hill. She worked uh, for Senator McConnell, for Senator Snow, for Speaker Boehner, for Roy Blump back when he was uh, uh, in the House of Representatives. Um, And so she brings a ton of experience from the communications side of the Hill. And we are so excited to have her. But before we get to the interview, remember to follow us on social media. We are at Fly on the Wall Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to send us an email, it's flyonthewall at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And last but not least, remember to subscribe to Fly on the Wall. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever else you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to us right now, just go ahead, hit the subscribe button, and you'll get us in your inbox every single week so you can hear more great interviews like this one. Without further ado, let's welcome Antonia Ferrier to the podcast. Antonio, thanks so much for coming on Fly on the Wall. We're excited to have you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So we want to talk a little bit about your entire career. Um, You spent a lot of time on the Hill, seemingly everywhere, Um, eventually landing in Senator McConnell's office. But Mm -hmm. uh, before we get to that, let's start when you were in college, when you weren't even dead set about working on the Hill. Uh, So what do you think you wanted to do then?
1: Well... I, when I was 14, thought I wanted to be Secretary General of the United Nations. Um, I was born on UN Day. If anyone wants to know when that is, the United Nations Day is on October the 24th. So if you're into the UN, celebrate on that day. Um, I thought I wanted to go into international relations. I thought I wanted to be a diplomat. I thought I wanted to go take the Foreign Service exam and go around the world and be a vehicle for good and righteousness around the world. Um... And I quickly realized after I did an internship at the UN in Vienna that I didn't really want to do that. But, you know, I had a wonderful time in college, loved—I I went to AU, not Georgetown, but I had a great time in college. And then I really didn't know what I wanted to do after college. Quick sidebar for all of you listening to this— you don't have to have it all figured out. It's okay not to. Your path will lead you where you need to go, and you'll open and make open many doors and make many decisions. And that's sort of what I did. I did not think I was gonna work on Capitol Hill. I did not think that I would be a Republican. If you'd asked me in college, I was a Democrat. I was a conservative Clinton Democrat, but I was a Democrat. And so I ended up working for a gentleman who had worked for Senator Dick Luger. He had been the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee. Um We had long talks, and he was so generous with me, and I sort of realized that I was a Republican sort of because of national security and economic reasons. And from there, I spent a little time doing some work for a gentleman named Richard Burt. He had been one of Reagan's ambassadors and and George H.W. Bush's ambassadors, and I got to meet a gentleman named Haley Barber. Um, For those of you who do not know who Haley Barber is, he's... Almost like from central casting of what a Southern politician is like. Now, Mm -hmm. some people might think that's pejorative. I do not think so at all. He's this larger-than-life, wonderful, genteel man from Mississippi who had been the chairman of the Republican Party um, in the 90s under President Clinton and um he, he really sort of got me going on republican politics and i took a break i went to new york for a couple of years like i said it's fine to go and do and explore other things and i realized i was had the bug and i moved back and um Haley barber helped me get a job at the national republican senatorial committee um in the 2002 cycle and uh bill frist of tennessee was the chairman Republicans won back the Senate majority, and then he became majority leader, and then I was in the Senate.
0: One of those few good incumbent midterm <laughs> years. You don't see that very often.
1: Well, it was a kind of a crazy—it was crazy at the beginning of the 2000s because um, there was a prominent Republican from New England. His name is Jim Jeffords. He'd switch parties um, over a very parochial issue, milk. Sometimes uh, local issues really do matter, um, something called the Dairy Compact, which— anyone ever cares about the politics, New England matters a lot. And he switched parties. So that meant that Republicans went into the minority. And it was uh, basically a 50-50 Senate with Democrats sort of in control. It was sort of a big mess in the first couple of years of President Bush. Yeah.
0: So then you went to the NRC. Then you wound up on the Hill. Um, mm-hmm. And you were in lots of different offices. Uh, yeah. One of those was Senator Blunt's. And you were there during the financial crisis, which was certainly a crazy time on the Hill. So tell us uh, about what it was like to be there for that.
1: Yeah. So he is now Senator Blunt. At the time, he was Congressman Blunt. Um, and he is from a part of Missouri, the, the Ozarks. And again, I mean, this is why I love politics. Um, I'm just a girl from suburban Massachusetts. And... Uh, I learned a lot about Tennessee and then then working for Senator Frist and working for Senator Snow a lot about the state of Maine. And then I end up working in the House, which is a very different tempo. Um, Some people, Someone said to me years ago that the House is like a mosh pit and the Senate is like Muzak. And that's kind of true. The House is just so raucous um, that both parties are closer to their bases. And I worked for this congressman who was the head of a Baptist college, the mm-hmm. Ozarks. It's they people say it's the buckle of the Bible Belt, not where I'm from. <laughs> a lot of ag, very different. And he ended up in this very critical role toward the end of the Bush administration with the financial crisis. I mean, um, the Bush administration and the Treasury came and said they needed basically a trillion dollars to bail out Wall Street. Um, And it was really difficult. I sat in a conference room and watched a grown man, a congressman from Texas, his name is Judge Carter, literally cry um, out of anger because John Boehner, who was then the Republican leader, asked, asked members at the table to vote for what the Bush administration put forward. And he was banging his hand on the table and said, I will not vote for this. My constituents do not accept this. We should not be bailing out these banks. They need to bear the consequences for their actions, and he was in tears, and it was mm. unbelievable. Um, we had there were some obviously big challenges along the way with TARP. What was it going to be? How was it going to work? You had then Treasury Secretary Hank Paulson um, come to the Hill to try and work through and negotiate um, what it was the administration needed. And he had a panic attack. And mm. I did not know that at the time, but I was in the outer hallway of then John Boehner's office, and the medical team came rushing in, and I thought the man had a heart attack. And I thought, the Treasury Secretary is having a heart attack during the financial crisis. Things are not good. So it was the most um, challenging and Sometimes in those challenging times, it's sort of exhilarating to be able to say you're a fly on the wall yeah. <laughs> um, and to see history, and it was history, and it was uh, very difficult, uh, failed, legislation failed in the House, you had grown men crying on the floor of the House, uh, the market tanked, um, and then it went to the Senate, the Senate basically rescued the House and um, got the bill through, got tarped through, and... Um, then the House did pass it. Sometimes the weird thing in Congress is sometimes you have to fail to succeed, and that's only what happened there.
0: Yeah. So that sounds like a pretty uh, pretty intense time to be it around. It was pretty intense, um, yes. There are hopefully also some other less intense times. Things, uh, <laughs> yes,
1: absolutely.
0: Um, and, you know, you've been all over. You mentioned you worked for Senator Snow, also for Senator Hatch, Speaker Boehner. Um, so you've been all over, House side, Senate side. Tell us about the differences between the places you've worked.
1: Oh, well... So a couple of just broad observations um, about the differences between the chambers. Um, the Senate is... There's there's an old sort of adage about the Senate that it's 100 people who all want to be president. <laughs> now, if you look in 2016, there were a lot of Republican senators who ran for president, and you look now in 2020 how many Democrat senators are, are running for president. So there's that. Um, the Senate is... They, each senator is their own fiefdom, um, and they, everyone sort of revolves around their own senator. Um, and it can, in some ways, be a little isolating for people who have worked in the House to come over to the Senate because you sort of orbit your senator that so much that it can feel, compared to the House, a little more lonely. It's not lonely at all, but just by way of comparison. You know, a senator can walk down the hall and just make news it is typically harder for a house member to to make news. So in some ways, the Senate is easier from a communications perspective, sort of depending on on the member, but they can just make news, they can drop a bill and make news, they Mm -hmm. don't, it is not as hard. In the house, you have to be scrappier. Um, And the members, there are so many of them, it used to be that it was coalitions that sort of made up their respective caucuses and that's how you have a governing coalition doesn't matter if you're a democrat or republican and you have to work together and sort of get groups and teams of members together to sort of break through and you really have to be entrepreneurial to, to break through which is some might argue why the house can reward uh, the more incendiary behavior or mm-hmm. more incendiary comments because that's what breaks through and gets you sort of attention um you can see that in the house with some of the new democrats who have come in um some controversial comments from some of the new democrats and controversial comments from some long-standing republicans um in the house as well so there it's uh the House is also much more leadership-driven. Um, the Senate has traditionally not been as leadership-driven. Um, you know, a group of senators get together, they they can really uh, change the trajectory of what happens. It's not as easy in the House, um, so they're they're different. Uh, but they're both great in their own way.
0: That's actually a good segue into our um, next sort of topic here. We want to switch switch gears into your time in Senator McConnell's office, which is where you were for the last few years before. Um, Leaving the Hill and being in the majority leader's office, you're obviously very, you were working closely on um, the Republicans' agenda, for lack of a better word, once Mm -hmm. you took back the entire government, White House and and both chambers of Congress. Um, And and one of the early elements of that was trying to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act, um, which was in part doomed by those factions in the House that you mentioned with the Freedom Caucus and everything. So tell us about that behind the scenes. What happened and how do you think that affected things going forward?
1: Well, it was one of the most grueling uh, legislative efforts that ultimately failed. Um, obviously, everyone remembers, well, obviously, folks should remember Senator McCain had that moment. He'd been sick, he came back, and he voted no. Um, and there had been some other, a couple other Republicans, Senator Susan Collins and, and Lisa Murkowski, who were also opposed. Um it was frankly one of those things that we tried to figure out a way to sort of get get it done but it was just I think there was a lot of reluctance by a lot of members who they knew they had to vote yes, but there was a lot of reluctance about doing so. You know, Reagan, Ronald Reagan famously said the surest thing the life on earth is a federal program. Now, I understand Democrats' perspective that this question of coverage um, is a moral issue, and I respect that. Um, I think ultimately the, all the problems and challenges with the Affordable Care Act, uh, or Obamacare, as Republicans call it, We highlighted them for years but there was never really a great consensus on what it was that we were for and i think it's a real challenge for a party that struggles with the concept that government should be playing that role having said that um i'm going to say something a little controversial which is um i um in some ways i'm thankful for senator mccain because i think if we had if that that had kept going i don't think we would have ever moved forward on anything else so I think it was sort of an end of months of pain um, and it allowed us to get onto tax, which is a fundamentally much more comfortable Republican issue than, right. than dealing with health care.
0: Yeah. So. And speaking of the tax bill, there was, uh, you know, there was so much controversy over the bill from the minute, wonkish tax policy details of state tax, mm-hmm. like you name it, they were, it had it all. Um, but even something as minute as the name, uh, there were news reports... Uh, that President Trump initially wanted to call it the Cut, Cut, Cut Act. Mm-hmm. It wound up being called the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, uh, which is <laughs> still seemingly pretty strong from, from a messaging standpoint, and you're on the comm side, so uh, kudos, I guess. Um, but so tell us tell us about, how, how did that happen? So, uh, you know, President Trump says he wants to call it Cut, 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 it winds up being Tax, tax Cuts and Jobs. Uh, how'd that go down?
1: So this ended up becoming a point of contention between the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, and the President of the United States, um, the president has uh, very decided views on marketing. Um, it's kind of what he's known for. Um, he likes thinking about branding and all of that. And he was convinced that this was the, to call it the Cut, Cut, Cut Act, got right to the nub of what the bill actually did. Um, the speaker disagreed. And they went back and forth, I think for at least a couple days. And we ended up with a compromise, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. He got tax cuts in there. Um, from Typically from a Republican perspective in talking about tax relief and tax reform, we always like to talk about economic growth and jobs and opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so we probably would not have gone with tax cuts if not for the President of the United States. But uh, throughout the negotiations on the, on the tax bill, There were really only a few big top-line things that the president insisted on, and he really, really was dug in on the name, but the Speaker (laughs) got him (laughs) sort of to pull back somewhat on that. And um, I remember saying to Senator McConnell, I said to him, sir, um, the president really wants to call this bill. The Cuts 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 Act, and he's been discussing it with the speaker, and he just deadpan said, "Well, I'm just going to let Paul deal with that one."
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I guess that's one way to deal with it. Um, so you worked, like I said, in the in like you said in the com shop for Senator McConnell, mm-hmm. and um, he is uh, pretty notorious for being able to avoid the distractions of the sort of fast paced twenty four hour yes. news cycle. Um, or as Mike Duck, was a fellow here a couple of semesters ago, called it the 24-minute news cycle. That's right. Um, because it's moving so fast now. Uh, in fact, I have a tweet here from uh, Josh Holmes, McConnell's former chief of staff. Um, he said, uh, Libs aren't taking my advice, but the pressure McConnell strategy is hilarious to me. Perhaps there's a politician who gives fewer Fs about pressure <laughs> press, press coverage, but in 20 years, I haven't met him or her yet. Correct. So, um, what's it like working in comms for someone like that?
1: It is... Wonderful! <laughs> it is so wonderful. I mean, I've worked for a lot of different members of Congress in the House and the Senate, and uh, he—I mean, he is—he is—he is attuned to the press, and he understands the importance of communications. But he also understands that for him, he's got to take a, a lot of the heat, and he's comfortable doing it. He is so focused on outcomes. And if you start playing the news cycles, you don't typically win, um, and you don't you don't typically get a result. Um, so he he just knows. I mean, he he named his his memoir "The Long Game" for a reason. Mm-hmm. It is just keep moving forward, don't get distracted by the noise, and try and keep putting you know lead on the target. As sort of a campaign um, p- campaign folks always say, "Lead on the target." You know. So that's what he tries to do, and he is just so focused. Um, my former boss, Senator Olympia Snow, w- was very different than Senator McConnell, I'll just say. She was much more sensitive to the press. I would say very sensitive to the press. And Republicans in the Senate, they have lunch together Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. They're sort of hosted by different people. But she had, after President Obama, um, Came into office, there was a big discussion about extended, enhanced unemployment benefits, unemployment insurance benefits, and they were going to expire. And a lot of the Republican members thought maybe it was time to not keep extending them. And she called Senator McConnell and she said, she said, Mitch, I'm really worried. I think I'm going to vote, you know, with the Democrats on this, and you know, I don't want anyone to be upset with me for doing that. And he said to her, Olympia you vote however you want to vote. If I need you on something, you'll know it. And the reason that's sort of important to think about from a leader perspective is you don't need to go and hammer your colleagues on everything Mm -hmm. because you got to know what you're going to win and what you're going to lose on. And he wasn't going to go hammer a moderate senator from Maine to push her to do something she didn't want to do if he knew it was going to, become law anyways so there's no reason to fight um the inevitable and so he wouldn't he wouldn't go and hammer colleagues um or you know these senators um on things unless he really needed them and they would know it um so that's just how he is he approaches legislating he approaches communications and you know it was so refreshing because you just he never made a mistake discipline self-control um, are just two hallmarks of who he is and it is very rare i've met a lot of politicians um they all have their um they bring their strengths to bear but, you know, they're people, right? They're just like all of us. They get out of bed every morning. They brush their teeth. They put their deodorant on. They put their pants on one leg at a time. And so when you get to know them, you sort of are like, okay, I sort of admired you. I still admire you, but you're a person. So they might come down a little bit. Yeah. And you're, It's not it, it's not meant to sound as a yeah. negative thing. You just, they're people. My admiration and respect for Senator McConnell after working for him for almost four years is actually higher than when I started working for him. Um, Because the calmness he brings in times of tremendous adversity um, is unbelievable. And he takes so many slings and arrows from everyone. And I don't think it's ever fully appreciated how much he has tried to, I know there are gonna be a lot of liberals are gonna be angry when I say this, when he um, tries to sort of put the country first and again, I, I know that'll be controversial, um, but he has taken some very tough decisions and taken a lot of flack from his own party. And so there is that. He gets flack from everyone. He gets mm-hmm. it from the right, from the Sean Hannity crowd, and he gets it from the left. And so to me, it's like, well, you know, uh, there you go. It was very funny after the confirmation of uh, Justice Kavanaugh. Uh, he did an interview with goodness sake, someone on Fox News. And uh, they the comment was something like, oh, well, the conservatives in the right are really happy with you. And he said, yeah, that'll pass. They'll start attacking <laughs> you again soon. So he's just very go. clear-eyed about things. Mm-hmm.
0: So one last thing that we like to do uh, to wrap up interviews on Fly on the Wall is the lightning round. Okay, very so, excited. All right. So pretty much is what it sounds like. We'll give you a hopefully not too hard question. And okay. Then go. Ask me tonight. the hardest question in the world. All right. Um, so you get a job offer to go back to one of the two, one of the two, House or Senate? Senate. Okay. Um, favorite social media platform? Instagram. Instagram. All right. I thought you, I thought you might go with Twitter. That's mine. Um, <laughs> and last one, uh, easier president to work with, Obama or Trump? This
1: is a harder one. Um, I can I take a pass. Uh, right. I, I will. Uh, in some ways, Obama. Okay. Um, and I'm just going to explain. I think the challenge. There's. I hate to say that, but. They both have their advantages and disadvantages. Uh-huh. Ultimately, it's easier to work with President Trump because you have more of a shared agenda. Um, right. But there are times there is a lot of chaos in the White House that is played out, which makes it sometimes difficult. So I'm going to split the baby on that one. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> well,
0: Antonia, thank you so much for being on Fly on the Wall. Wonderful. Also, uh, well, just before you before we go, quick chance to plug your discussion group. Uh, when is it and what's the topic?
1: Okay, so today, ignore today, today we're discussing Twitter, Um, so ignore that. We um meet at 4 o'clock on Mondays. The overarching theme is breaking through the noise. It's all the noise that's out there, how to analyze and understand what matters, what doesn't, what do voters hear, what don't they hear. Does all the noise matter at all? Um, Increasingly, there's just more noise and less action. How do you deal with it all?
0: Great, thanks. That sounds like a great discussion group. Um, Encourage everyone to go. Antonia's going to be on campus all semester. As a fellow here at GU Politics, we're so excited to have her. And we're so glad you could be on Fly on the Wall. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fly on the Wall. That was Antonia Ferrier. Again, she is a fellow here at GU Politics this semester. um, And her discussion group, the topic is breaking through the noise, talking about the media, um, whether all the noise matters or not. Um, and it's Mondays 4 to 5 30. There's always free food discussion groups so come on by for as little or as much of them as you can um, and we will see you there thanks and we'll see you next week.